Hello and welcome to At Home with Ashley G. I'm Ashley Gronwald, a real estate agent, mother of three, living in Raleigh, North Carolina with my husband, Jed. I hope you will join me as we discuss all things that begin in the home, such as family, marriage, faith, parenting, organizing, and plus a sprinkle of real estate. I look forward to building a community with you as we navigate the joys of owning a home and making it our safe haven for our family. Because home is where it all begins. Hi everyone, it's Ashley Gronwald with Hunter Row Real Estate. I wanted to share with you a topic that is very near and dear to my heart, especially right now in this season with having three little ones. So this is gonna be a session about parenting. And I wanna be the first to say these are not my ideas. I am not an expert. I am just in the throes of parenting. I shared with our small group the other night that Jed and I look at each other often and really feel like we have no idea what we're doing and begging God to give us wisdom because we we really don't want to ruin our kids is how we look at it. We just keep thinking, gosh, there's so many nuances to parenting and how to parent. So I'm going to share from Jen Wilkin and her husband's parenting class. So I will put the link to their class. Now, this is a six week class and each session is about an hour and 15 minutes. So it's a super long, but very thorough and awesome parenting class that you can listen to all of it. I'll put it in the show notes. Again, Jen Wilkin and her husband do this through the village church. And I listened to all of it. I've gone back and listened to it multiple times. And so I just thought, I don't know that everyone has six plus hours to give to listening to these. So I am going to do a couple sessions on this and I'm just going to share in these little 30 minute sessions, just some of the things that I took away from it. Hopefully it's helpful for you. Um, and then if there's questions you have, or if you'd like me to get clarification on anything, I can go back and listen um, because I've loved them so much. I've just been taking them in and really thoroughly enjoying them. So in the show notes is the link that you can go to, to listen to the whole class. So again, these are not my ideas and I am just sharing exactly word for word almost from Jen and her husband's mouth from when they shared at the parenting class. So I came up with 10 easily that I took away from, you know, some of the the sessions and then I'm going to have more. So I hope you'll tune in again. So the first one, and I thought this was so good and they repeated often was begin with the end in mind when it comes to parenting. And this is so good because we get so stuck in the moment and you hear people say like the days are long, but the years are short. I think this is a similar idea of like, don't get lost in thinking about just getting through the day and miss the long-term perspective. So having a really a long-term perspective when parenting. Um, and I think this applies to marriage too. begin with the end in mind. And a lot of things start that way, but having it specifically with kids, I think would be super helpful for me, hopefully for you too. She said something that I thought was so powerful. Think for the next 18 years, not the next 18 minutes. So oftentimes as parents, we're thinking of how do we get through this next session of time, whether that's the next 15 minutes while you're trying to get dinner on the table. And so we throw them in front of a show or we're in the store and they're kind of acting out. And so it's like, how can we get through the next 15 minutes? before we're out of the store. And so we buy them the toy that they're screaming about, or we're thinking, you know, dinner is just a stressful time. And so we're just going to give them mac and cheese every night at dinner to avoid conflict, but we're not building their character or developing them 
we're thinking through how do we survive the next 18 minutes versus how do we develop their character for the next 18 years? Gosh, that was so powerful for me. Um, if anybody else can relate, share, because I, I need to know that I'm not alone in this. Um, so think about that. How, how can we prepare them to be a good spouse, a good parent, a good friend? And I just think about my mother-in-law and my father-in-law and just what they did to develop my husband. Some things that I can say thank you to them that they taught him self-control and discipline and respect and work ethic. And so all those things we want to do with our kids. So I thought that was so great. Begin with the end in mind with our kids and constantly come back to that long-term perspective, developing them for a lifetime versus getting through the moment. The other thing that stuck out to me that I've been trying to implement since hearing Jen and her husband share this was set expectations including the consequence in advance with a child and then acknowledge it with eye contact, have the child acknowledge you with their eye contact. So for example, if you're getting ready to go to the park um, or a playground or something like that, you could say, and this is what I did with Ellie, Ellie, we're going to go to a playground and play for a little bit. And then when we get ready to leave, I'm going to come to you and give you a warning to say in the next few minutes, we're going to be leaving. And then as soon as I say, okay, it's time to leave. I need you to say, yes, mommy, and head to the car with me and then wait for them to acknowledge it. Yes, mommy. And then make sure that that happens and then let them know about the consequence, Ellie. And if you don't, we'll, we'll need to go straight home and we won't be able to stop on the way home to get a special lunch we had talked about. So again, set the expectation, including the consequence if they don't obey, obey have them acknowledge it with eye contact. And then we have to make sure that we follow through with the consequence. So one thing I have learned is make sure that the consequence you're, you're telling them could be a result of their disobedience is something you will follow through with. So if it's something that you're like, I, I'm not going to follow through with that. That's not a, a good consequence because you're not going to be able to follow through if they don't obey. I know we hope that they will obey, but you've got to be prepared that they won't. And then I love the idea of giving them a five minute warning. So at five minutes before you're ready to leave the playground to go up to, for me to go up to Ellie and say, Ellie and look her in the eyes, we need to leave in five minutes. Okay. And Jen says a lot of this. Yes, mommy, or yes, ma'am, whatever you use in your home. So yes, ma'am. So in five minutes, we're going to be leaving. And I think this is so respectful of the kid because I think a lot of parents, they pull their, their children from activity to activity so abruptly. And if you're anything like me, I need a minute to change gears. And our kids are probably the same way. So giving them that warning of we're leaving in five minutes or in five minutes, I need you to clean up or in five minutes, I need us to go do bath time so that they can have a chance to close down that activity and prepare for the new one. So I think that's a great idea. The five minute warning, I love that. And then with setting the expectation with eye contact is getting down on their level. And I'm so guilty of saying this from a different room. Ellie, we're getting ready to go to the playground. Get your clothes on instead of Ellie, let's you know get down on their level. I wanna let you know what we're doing and have eye contact so they can acknowledge the expectation. And one thing she says about that is that they've just submitted their will to you if they say yes ma'am or yes mommy because essentially they've acknowledged what we're going to do and they're saying they will obey 
but then you have to let them know that there's a consequence if they don't and then follow through. So good. I love this. I hope you'll try it. Let me know if this works for you guys. If you have any stories to share about it, I have been trying it with Ellie. And what I know what's working for me is that it's making me be more intentional. It's also helping me to slow down, to set the expectation and then slow down to get on her level and have eye contact with her. And then just the five minute warning, gosh, I think that's just respectful to our kids. Okay, so the third takeaway I had was this concept of training versus entertaining. So good, so convicting. Similar to that, that thought of beginning with the end in mind and thinking for the next 18 years versus the next 18 minutes. So we can either just sit them down in front of a show before dinner, which is one thing Jen actually does. She said that's part of their schedule is that they get to watch a 30 minute show while she's cooking dinner and that works for their family. But instead of that being the normal activity that we're constantly putting our kids in front of some form of entertainment, she really encourages us to use our time with our kids to teach them, train them, grow them, interact with them rather than just entertain them. And this is challenging because we're in a culture that we use our phones as entertainment and as a way to kill time. When we're at the doctor's office sitting in the waiting room, we're on our phone versus engaging with someone that might be in there with us, you know, so just mindlessly scrolling through social media. So we're training our kids essentially that to just kind of numb ourselves with these things instead of interacting with them, engaging them. So she really encouraged conversation in the car instead of just putting on music, even if it's Christian music, she's like, that can be good. And she's not can, you know, condemning that, but what about engaging them in conversation? Um, and that was one thing she talked about, like when you pick up your kids from school to ask them questions about their day, to try and get them engaged in conversation and setting the expectation that we're not going to just zone out in the car or just listen to music. And so that's something that I've been trying to do too with Ellie is praying with her on the way to school. And then on the way home from school, asking her about her day. And sometimes that can not go so well. She can just say she had a good day. Or I recently I've learned, um, what was your favorite part about the day? And it can't be lunch, snack, or the playground <laughs> because those were her three answers all the time. So learning, did you paint today? Did you get to go outside for playground time, just asking engaging conversations with our kids and then looking for learning opportunities instead of just quieting them with a phone. So this could be at the store instead of just handing them our phone to numb them and entertain them, uh, but instead to ask them to help. So I ask Ellie often to put the groceries up on the, the conveyor belt at the checkout to help me with that or to help me think through the grocery list together. Um, so these are things that I'm learning to do better because it's easy to just put them in front of a movie or a phone, but it takes intentionality and thinking for the end in mind and the next 18 years versus the next 18 minutes to train them. So that was so good. Train versus entertain. Love that. Gosh, so convicting, so hard for me. So the next one that stuck out to me is we want to teach our children to submit to our will so they learn to submit to God's will. So this isn't just a power play, and she talks a lot about that, but we're teaching our kids to submit to us, their parents, who God has ordained um, into their life to be their protectors, providers, and ultimately a picture of God to our kids. Um, so they'll learn 
to submit to God's will. And who would be better to teach that than the parents that love them, care for them, um, and want the best for them. And again, a picture of God the Father to our kids. So God has put us in authority over our kids. And so to implement that authority, we've got to be consistent. We've got to show them discipline and follow through with that. And then allow them to learn submission to authority. Again, not those words are so strong. So I don't want them to come across as that we're doing power plays over them. But we we do want to steward these kids that are God, they're not ours. He's just given them to us for a season to steward. And part of stewarding them is disciplining them and teaching them this role of submission. And then again, convicting is teaching them submission by some being submissive ourselves and whether that's submitting to traffic laws, which I said, gosh, you know, I'm not doing a very good job of teaching Ellie submission when I'm not submitting myself to the authorities that are above me. That could be um, professionally a boss. That could be to my husband, Jed, and Jed and I struggle with that because we have very strong personalities. So we often have trouble when we are being called to submit to someone else's authority. So again, teaching our kids that by modeling it, not just voicing it with our mouth, but actually modeling it in our lives and our marriages and our profession and with our neighbors. Um, and so the other thing that she pointed out was to point our kids to Jesus. So we're making disciples of Jesus, not making disciples of ourselves. Like I do not want to make a bunch of little Ashleys running around or a bunch of little Jeds running around. That does not glorify God and it does not help the child grow and develop into who God wants them to be. So pointing them to Jesus instead of pointing them to myself. Again, I'm super convicted by this. And this is so hard for me to not just want to mold them into my image and similar in marriage. I want to make Jed more like me. So it's easier in my mind, but instead making pointing everyone in the family to Jesus. So I thought those were really great powerful points. Another one she shared was give grace when you're in unusual circumstances. So for example, if the kids are tired because you skipped their nap today, you push them a little further, or you put them to bed later because family was in town, or if the kids are hungry because you forgot to pack snacks or because dinner's running a little later, or there's an unusual schedule, change in plans, special occasions, Christmas, birthday, holidays, in-laws coming to visit, or you forgot to set the expectation. So she says, give grace in those situations, which I think is so good because it's a picture of the gospel, which is grace. And so, for example, we took our kids to the zoo. And when we did that, we skipped Parker's afternoon nap. And so on the way home, he is fussy. He's screaming. He's crying. He's throwing things. Now, those things aren't okay, so we don't ignore them, and they and they said this. Grace doesn't mean you ignore that something isn't right, but we still want to give grace, which is undeserved favor, and I love that. So I can still acknowledge, Parker, we, we're not screaming in the car. We don't throw food. We don't hit our sister, but I can do that with love and tenderness and cuddle him versus being very strong and direct and not allowing a little grace for the circumstances because he didn't choose not to have his nap. He needed his nap. I chose that. And so I've got to 
be aware of that. Or if we go to the playground and I didn't set the expectation that we're leaving in five minutes or we have to go home and they're getting angry about that because I didn't set the expectation of we need to leave at this time and then we have to go home, giving a little grace about that. Again, it doesn't ignore that something's wrong. It's just extending undeserved favor, which we want and we want in our marriages and our friendships. So of course we want to extend that to our kids. And again, it's a picture of the gospel. So when we're extending grace, and I often do this with Ellie because our her preschool teacher did this last year and I loved it. She would just say, you know, if she had to give her a warning for, okay, Ellie, you are not using your hands in a loving way towards your classmates. I'm going to give you grace right now and you're not going to have to go to time out. But if you were to do that again, you would. And so I'll say to Ellie, I'm giving you grace right now by not um, giving you a punishment, but next time you will. So again, but explaining that you're not just turning a blind eye. You saw what was done was wrong. You're, you're extending grace, but next time there will be a consequence and fall through with it. So I thought those were so good. And you know, modeling this giving of grace between husband and wife, between the kids and family members, parent and child, all really good because it reminds us that we don't deserve anything that we've been given either. So that's something that I thought was helpful. We don't want to condone the bad behavior, but we do also want to acknowledge that maybe the circumstances are not normal. And so the kids affected by that. So extend some, some grace. I thought that was great advice. Okay. This was around the dinner table food related. I know I talked about this in a previous podcast that you can listen to that just on specifically helping our kids avoid having eating disorders. And so if you want to listen more on that, listen to that podcast, but this was from Jen and she said, keep offering foods they don't like. This doesn't mean forcing them to eat them, but she did say, keep offering them. And then also she said, allow them to see you eating them. So it's really hard for me to say, Ellie, eat your broccoli, but I'm not eating it. So we want to make sure that if we're suggesting them to eat maybe a food that they don't love, that we're eating it with them. And Jen said that kids eating habits start at home. So if kids are always eating peanut butter and jelly and mac and cheese, that's because that's what they've learned at home, which I thought, gosh, that's convicting. Again, what we're doing at home is how we're setting them up for what they're going to do outside of the home. And then the other thing she said at dinner time is give them a couple foods that you know that they like, and then also include the food that isn't their favorite. So they do have some options of things that they love and then constant exposure to, or just consistent exposure to foods that they don't like. And I think this is good because in my mind, it's like, I know she doesn't like fill in the blank, whatever that food is. And so I don't put it on her plate. And I think parents were probably all guilty of this. We're like, we don't want the battle, but if we constantly expose it to them and let them see us eating it, they may come on board with eating it. It was Jen's thought. Um, So don't just think they never eat that food and never expose them to it again, continue exposing it to them. So I thought that was really good. Oh, such a controversial topic. This next one is spanking. And I've struggled with it because it's a tricky one for me. And so the one thing I took away from it that I loved was 
and this was the pastor that was helping with the Q&A session um, that Jen and her husband did for their parenting class. He said this, that spanking, um, that verse, you know, spare the rod, spoil the child. He said, that's not actually what it says. So you want to go and read the, the scripture specifically. But he also said this comes from Proverbs, which is wisdom literature. And what I love is that he said, it's not required. It's not a command. You must spank your child or you are disobeying God, which I was like, gosh, this is so good because I'm black or white thinker. So I think spanking is spoke about in the Bible in a, in a sense that it's, it's something that we should be doing, but it freed me up a lot because he said it's not required. It's just highly effective, but it's used in the wisdom literature as something wise to do, but it's not commanded by God. So I think that gives us parents a whole lot of gray and I don't, generally work in the gray zone. I, I think in black or white. So this was good for me. It challenged my thinking a little bit because again, we, you know, they talked about, you don't want to spank in anger um, or frustration. It needs to be in love. And often when I go to spanking, it would be in anger and frustration. So thinking through this as it's not required, but it's wise, it's not commanded, but it's again, effective. And I think it's child to child. And they talk about that a lot too. So that was an awesome takeaway that I had from the disciplining topic that they did. And then kind of piggybacking on that, they share that discipline is meant to humble our kids, not to humiliate. And this is so good because I think in the midst of my frustration and my anger, when my kids do disobey, I can tend towards wanting to humiliate them. Um, and this could be through how I speak to them condescendingly demeaning. It could be with sighing or I can't believe you just did that. Anything that is humiliating, they, they said, that's not the point of discipline. Um, again, we're disciplining in love. And so examples they gave is that to not spank in public um, because this shames the child, but instead to do that behind closed doors, doing it privately. And they also recommended not doing this in front of other siblings, that that could be very dangerous for other kids to see you um, disciplining or spanking a child. So again, don't know where you stand with this, but they they definitely had some really good thoughts on making sure discipline is done in love and that our motivation as parents is really checked. And I know I need that, just checking my motivation. And often I can't respond in the exact moment that it's happening because I'm so angry. I'm quick to anger, thankfully, unlike God. Um, so keeping that in mind that if you're not in a place to be able to discipline and love and respect that doesn't humiliate or shame the child, or you can't do it privately, that you probably should wait to administer that discipline. So that was really good for me and helpful. Another one they talked about was give our kids freedoms at an age appropriate time. So for example, Jen was saying that we often give kids phones for entertainment way too early. And so they've been given a freedom that they're not quite emotionally, mentally, developmentally prepared for. And so when we give that too soon, it can be have negative effects on the kid. And the example she gave is, did you know the recommended um, amount of screen time for kids under the age of two? Do you know it, how many hours per week? Zero. <laughs> She's like, it's not recommended at all for kids under the age of two. So if we've given our phone or given screens to our kids under the age of two, in her mind, that's, that's a freedom given too early. And so it's going to have some potential negative consequences for them. And so 
thinking through that. But then she said it's also can be super frustrating for a child if they are developmentally, emotionally ready for a freedom that you're withholding from them, that can cause frustration. And again, negative consequences. So the example she gave there was if you have an older child that is ad- they can adequately, <laughs> safely, and you would trust them to walk to their neighbor's house and you're not allowing them to do that, that can cause a lot of frustration for the child because they know that they are ready for that. They see their friends doing that. Not that it's, we want to compare, but they are able to do that safely. Um, what You can fill in the blank with the example there, but I just love that. Just thinking through age appropriate times to give freedoms and you know thinking through what that means for your kids based on their age. And it could be that you give your four-year-old something that the next child, when they're four, they're not it's not age appropriate for them because of their maturity level or whatever that is. So thinking through freedoms at age appropriate times so that we're not giving them too soon, but also not causing frustration by giving them too late. I thought that was really helpful. Another one she talked about was having children apologize, even when they don't have the right motives or even a feeling of being sorry. And I will give Jed props for this. He's done this from a really early age with with Ellie. And I resisted it because I was like, I want her to feel sorry. I don't want her to just say she's sorry. And what they talk about is that our feelings often follow our actions. So if we speak that we are sorry, we can often start to feel sorry or apologetic after we've expressed that, taken that step. So teaching them what is right, even when they don't feel that way, she really thought that was valuable. And then modeling this for your kids. And Jed and I are, I would say, not great at this, but trying to be better. And we did it the other night and it was awesome. Jed came to me and apologized. And so we were able to close the loop on, you know, asking for forgiveness, essentially. And again, this creates a safe environment for your kids if they see you having conflict asking for forgiveness and closing that loop and seeing restoration in the relationship. And again, I would say I am not good at this. Um, Thankfully, Jed led in this really well the other evening and Ellie got to see that restoration. Um, And then when we, we pray at the end of the day, we both, we both that day asked for forgiveness from God. So pray, you know, allowing Ellie to see us asking God for forgiveness for the way we treated one another. So I think that's that's something really valuable to do. So having your kids say you're sorry to one another and then asking for forgiveness is really, really powerful tools that we can be teaching our kids. And again, the feelings will often follow the actions. So let me run through these again really quick because we're almost out of time. Begin with the end in mind. Love that. Set the expectation, including the consequence in advance with your kids and have them acknowledge it with eye contact using that five minute warning, train versus entertain, teaching our children to submit to our will will ultimately teach them to submit to God's will. Give grace to our kids when the circumstances are unusual, example, being tired, hungry, special occasions. Keep offering foods that our kids don't particularly like. Remembering that spanking comes from Proverbs, which is wisdom literature, not required, but wise. Discipline is never meant to humiliate, but is meant to humble. Give freedom at age appropriate times. And then the last one, have your children ask 
for forgiveness and apologize even when they don't feel sorry. So these were just 10 nuggets that I got, again, from Jen Wilkins' parenting class um, through the Village Church. I will put the link in the show notes so that you can go listen to them. Again, it's about seven, eight hours worth of material, but so good. I'll do this again, but would love to hear your questions, your thoughts. If you've experienced any of these things with your kids, would love to to hear and share them with one another. But I hope this was helpful to you and your parenting um, and look forward to seeing you next week. Thank you for joining me today. And if you connected with something that was said, I hope you will share this with a friend, subscribe and leave a review. Thanks for sharing this journey with me at home where it all begins.